Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. A man forgot to put his phone on silent and it rang so loud in the church during preaching. The pastor scolded him. The worshipers admonished him after the sermon for interrupting. His wife kept on lecturing on his carelessness all the way home. His friends and acquaintances shook their heads in disgust. You could see the shame, embarrassment, and humiliation on his face. He never stepped foot in the church again after the service that Sunday. That evening, he went to a bar. He was still nervous and trembling. He spilled his drink on the table. The bottle fell by accident, and it splashed on some people. Those it touched rushed towards him. He closed his eyes, expecting a bashing of words or slaps. Instead, they cared to know if he did get a cut from the broken bottle. The waiter apologized and gave him a napkin to clean himself. The janitor mopped the floor. The female manager offered him a complimentary drink. She also gave him a huge hug and a peck while saying, Don't worry, man, who doesn't make mistakes? He has not stopped going to that bar since then. Sometimes our attitude as believers drives souls to hell. We can make a difference by how we treat people, especially when they make mistakes. <laughs> wow, come on, give the Lord a hand clap. You, you just want me to go ahead and give the altar call right now? Come on, that's a sermon right there, isn't it? We make a difference in how we treat people. Look at somebody and say, I want to make a good difference in somebody's life. Come on, tell them that this morning. I want to make a good difference. I want you to grab your worship guide. We want to welcome Wanatal, North Judson, and Hebron, our Full Throttle Biker Church. Glad that they are joining us. All of our online Westfield. Man, we're excited what God is doing there at Westfield. We had 60 men in the room that night, 27 baptized. Come on, give the Lord another good hand clap. That's awesome right there. Amen. This morning, I want you to look at your sermon notes. You've got Bibles. You can open to John chapter 8. And we're in our series on questions. And boy, do we have a great conversation this morning that we want to have. You know, Jesus, I made mention just a few weeks ago, Jesus was a master of being able to see people and see the image of God in them rather than focusing on the damage of sin in them. We have so many people today in this broken world that you and I rub shoulders with every day, and we have conversations, and if we're not careful, we have a tendency sometimes to put all of our focus on the damage of sin in their life rather than the image of God that is in every person. Amen? So this morning, I want to look at John chapter 8, and I, I, was, I want full disclosure here. If you have a Bible, most of our Bibles, will, will some of them will say that early transcripts did not have John chapter 8, 11, uh, 7 through 11 down, and the latter part of John chapter 7, you'll read that in the little margin. What does that mean? Does this mean it wasn't, didn't happen? No, it just simply means that the earlier transcripts did not record this later on transcripts that they found. They found the, these in there, and they translated, put it in our Bible, because every one of this, what we're going to read today, it falls within the character and the heart and the DNA of Jesus. Are you following me there? 
So, so even though it says early transcripts didn't have those verses, don't, don't be afraid. Oh, well, maybe, maybe that wasn't in there. Yeah, because this is the heart of Jesus. He, ha- he has this tremendous way. We're going to see this, this a story of this sinful woman that has this encounter with, with the Savior. John chapter 8, let me just read, starting with verse 7. Other verses we'll pull in here in just a few minutes. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, (laughs) the older guys getting out of there, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And here's our question. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go and leave your life of sin. It's an incredible encounter that Jesus has. It's, it's not a lady coming to him like the woman at the well that Jesus would encounter in early part of John. This is a lady that is, that is brought to Jesus really by force when you read this story. And she is surrounded with those that are accusing her, making accusations against her, or rightly say they are condemning her. Now, now, before I get into the story, I want to show you, most of us in this room, if you're watching online, you understand that we have a real enemy that we battle against. There's a real devil that, that comes after all of us. But, but here's what I want you to understand. I, I put this in your notes because it's important. Satan really only has three abilities. There's only really three areas where he can really come against us. He tries to come as us by deception. He tries to deceive us. He will many, many times try to tempt us. But ultimately, everything that he does through deception and temptation is all about his accusal against us, his accusations that he brings against us. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Now listen, so, so many times, most of us in this room, you understand, just, just stop and think about it for just a second. Before you come to Jesus, before you gave your life to Christ, or you decided to say, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to, I'm going to start living for Christ, listen, oftentimes, before that happened, Satan might would come to you with a little whisper. He would kind of whisper in your ear, well, you're not that bad. I mean, you, you don't really need Jesus. I mean, hey, just look, you're, you're as good as this guy over here. You ever, you ever had Satan try to whisper that in your ear before you come to Jesus? Try to, try to whisper in your ears, hey, you haven't made that many mistakes. What I've discovered in my own life, that, that before I come to Christ, he would whisper things like that. But after I come to Jesus Christ... After I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, Satan would no longer whisper to me. He would rail with his accusations against me. You're no good. 
You didn't really get saved. You could never live a Christ life. Look at the sins that's still in your life. I mean, you're really still messed up. You ever, you ever find that to be true? Listen, what, what does he do? He starts accusing us. He wants to remind us of every, every horrible moment that we've had in our life, all the horrible things, every, every sin, every mistake that we've ever made. And listen, Satan works hard at trying to not let us forget our past. And he even points out the flaws that we have in our present. So what are you saying, Pastor Phil? I want you to understand, now listen to this statement because I, I don't want you to misunderstand. I want you to understand that a person that operates in a spirit of condemnation is of the devil. Okay, just, just, oh, oh my God. A person, let me say it again, maybe let me talk to this side. A person that operates in the spirit of condemnation is Satan-like. He is the, well, don't, don't, I, I need to preach. Don't applause too loud right now. Listen, he is a master of accusing us. And what we're going to see today in this story that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, even though they were men that claimed to be have this high moral standard, Jesus is going to point out the hypocrisy in their life. Why is it important, Pastor Phil? Listen, you and I live in this broken world. We, we live in this world today where we're constantly rubbing shoulders with men and women that their lives have been messed up either by themselves or by others or by sin. And they, we live in this broken world, and it's so easy sometimes, if we're not careful, to focus on the damage of sin in somebody's life rather than the image of God that's in every person. Well, I wish I'd brought my horn to in here. I may need some help preaching this today. Listen, look at, I put this verse in, you know, it's Revelation 12 and 11. And they overcame, conquered him by the means of the blood of the lamb and by the utterance of their testimony. Listen, you and I are able to overcome Satan's accusation, and sometimes he uses people to accuse us. We're able to overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word or by our testimony that we can utter. And listen, what, what, I, what I want you to see this morning in this, in this story, this unique situation that Jesus is trying to model for us that we live in this broken world today, and it's so easy to get up on our high platform and point our finger at other people whose life is so messed up, and yet so many times, every time you point your finger, you've got three of them pointing right back at you. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. So write this down in your notes this morning. This story, we find two things that reveals to us. We're going to kind of break it down. Number one, the dangers of a judgmental spirit. The dangers of having that, that judgmental spirit. And then secondly, we see the forgiving heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The dangers of that judgment. Now, next week, I'm, I'm going to come back to you and kind of help you. Well, Pastor, you know, don't, shouldn't we call sin, sin? Should, shouldn't, we, shouldn't we stand for righteousness? I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that this story today is going to reveal to us that when we look at people, we have to make sure that we can focus on the image of God in them rather than the damage that sin has done in their life. So, so here's what we have. First, we see a woman, the Bible said that she was caught. Now, let me just set the scene. It's early in the morning. John chapter 7, Jesus has been in the temple teaching. He's had some positive response from people that are believing Jesus. So he goes back the next day. It's right after the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles that's been going on. So, so historians say there's probably still large crowds around Jerusalem. So, so Jesus shows up. He's in the temple. He's teaching that day. And suddenly, as he's teaching, he's getting interrupted by, by this huge crowd of men. The Bible doesn't tell us how many. But, but they bring, they surround this woman that is embarrassed, and they literally just kind of throw her down at Jesus' feet. And they are insisting to push their way through the crowd until basically she's down before Jesus and they're standing right there looking at Jesus. So, so who are these guys? Well, the Bible says they're teachers of the law or they're Pharisees. In other words, these are men. Everybody say men. These are men that had the reputation. Now listen, they had the reputation. They, they have wisdom. They have knowledge. They, they've got high moral standard. If you had a question about the law of Moses, you would find a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, and they were the people that would give you the answer. So, But even though these men are religious men, Jesus is going to point out to them they are not necessarily godly men. You do understand there's a difference between being religious and really godly. These men, when you read this story, they're, they're pretty self, self-confident. They're, they're, they're pretty proud. They're pretty arrogant. And ultimately, Jesus is going to point out that hypocrites make the worst judges. Because Jesus is going to point out the hypocrisy that they have in their own life. Listen, they have such a passion to condemn this woman, but Jesus is going to point out in this story that their passion to bring condemnation upon them is hidden behind their own evil heart. See, some historians and, and the scriptures will often talk about that Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And I, I just think for this for a minute. He was a friend of sinners. Now, he wasn't friend with sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of tax collectors and, and prostitutes. He, he was a friend of, of, of those men and women in society that everybody else looked down upon. And what happened was, because Jesus was considered to be a friend of sinners, not friend with sinners. See, a lot of you are friends with sinners. But you're not a friend of sinners. What's the difference? Here's the difference. I'm at a bike thing yesterday, and I, we had a couple of events happening. And this guy comes up to me and said, hey, Pastor Phil, I just want to tell you how much 
we appreciate what you and your group, Otterbound and Full Trot, what y'all do for our community. He said, I, I just want you to understand that, that we really appreciate. Now, this is a guy that, that is considered to be in, in, in a biker culture world that isn't necessarily Christian, okay? He's not a Christian. But he says, I want you to know how much we appreciate and we value your friendship. Now, listen. I've never been to a bar with this guy. I don't drink with this guy. We don't talk alike, but I'm a friend of him. How do I know that? Not too many weeks ago, this same guy had called me and said there was something going on. I did a funeral this past Tuesday with a biker that I blessed his bike. He wasn't, he wasn't in this church, but I was a friend of them that when they got into trouble, they would never feel embarrassed to come and ask for help. See, Jesus being a friend of sinners meant that he was accessible, he was available, and Jesus never looked down upon anyone that he met. He always valued every person. Every person mattered to Jesus. So what you and I have to understand in this, listen, in this world that we live in today, it's so easy to be friends with sinners. Some of you work with people who would be classified as a sinner. You're friends with them. You may work in the same building. You, you, you may have conversation, but are you a friend of them? When they're in trouble, do they trust you enough? Do they have confidence in enough that you love them in spite of who you are, in spite of what you do? Do they love you enough to show up and say, hey, I need some help? That is, you understand that? That's the way Jesus was. So these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they bring this woman. So, so who is this woman? Is she single? Is she married? Is she young? Is she old? The text doesn't tell us anything about her. Everything about this woman is speculation. How did they catch her in adultery? Is these a, is these a bunch of just wicked old men to spy him through the windows and trying to cut off hell. You, uh, you know, what, what, how, are they snooping around on this lady? How did they catch her? Because listen, in order for them to make the accusation that they're making the, the Old Testament law commands that an adultery be stoned, listen, you had to be an eyewitness. You couldn't just say, well, I saw them entering the same house. Or I saw them leave the house. No, it wasn't. You had to be an eyewitness. Heresy testimony would not be accepted. So how do these men catch this woman in that? We don't know. And here's a good question. Where's the man? Hello, the last time I checked, it, it takes two to commit adultery. Where's the dude at? Did he get away, grab his britches, and run? <laughs> no. Every, listen, everything about this story smells fishy, doesn't it? Come on. Be honest. Was they just setting this woman up? Did they hire somebody? Some, some historians say that basically they hired somebody to seduce this woman that, that, it, that so they could catch her, and they allowed the man to go free. They just bring it. Listen, they're wanting to expose her publicly. Why? They want her embarrassed. 
Have you, seen, have you ever seen somebody who operates in a spirit of judgmental Pharisee-type spirit? They love to embarrass people about their broken life. Go ahead. Tell him, tell him what you did. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. You tell, no, go tell him what you did. I don't need to know. Hello? But over the years, I've had people bring me their children, bring me their spouse. Okay, Jim, tell him what you did. What is she trying to do? She's trying to humiliate him. Humiliate him. You follow me? That's what these guys are trying to do. There's something at work here that isn't right. But watch this. Write this down. Jesus is going to turn the tables on these hypocrites. Now, ultimately, every theologian agrees this fact, that these guys care nothing about this woman. They are trying to trap Jesus. They're, they're, they're wanting to put Jesus in a difficult situation. They bring her to him, and, and, and listen, if, if Jesus speaks up and says, well, yeah, you're right, she should be put to death. Well, here's the violation he's going to make. Only the, the Romans had the authority to be able to put people to death. The Jews didn't. Jesus is operating under Jewish law. He doesn't have the authority. So if Jesus says, yeah, you're right, we should stone her, then the Romans can come back, the Roman government, and say, hey, listen, you are in rebellion against our government. And watch this, if, if Jesus says, well, no, she shouldn't be put to death, then know what? He's in violation of the Old Testament law. He's at odds against Moses. So either way, Jesus is in trouble, they thought. Now, this might have worked if it had just been an ordinary teacher. Kind of like years ago, it's like years ago, first church I'm pastoring, we had, we had this youth a young guy that was, that was trying to be a youth pastor, we brought him on, just giving him a little stipend, trying to, we're passing a little country church. And this, this young girl, they was the same age, so it wasn't an adult with a girl, the same age, she accused him of, of sleeping with her. Made accusation, brought, brought parents, they come, and they said, Pastor, we got to have a meeting. You know, this is happening, they're, they're sleeping. And, and this guy told me, he said, Pastor, I'm, no, I've never, never, number one, I never would. Number two, I never have, okay? So they show up in the meeting. I, we come to the parcel. They show up, and they're bickering. They're back and forth. They're accusing. And listen, wisdom kicks in. Listen, some of you don't know, don't think I'm that smart. Sometimes I am. Wisdom. Wisdom kicked in. I got on my knees. Asked my wife. I got on my knees. I said, folks, I said, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord that whichever one of these two are lying, that God's going to strike them with lightning. Lord, wait, 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 wait. The dad spoke up first. Wait, wait, now, Pastor, wait a minute. That you're getting too radical. Don't, don't. Dare. I said, listen, if you're a little sweet little girl telling the truth, she got no problem. If Mark's got a, if he's the one lying, I said his name. I'm sorry, Mark. If he's lying, if he's, hope you ain't listening today. If he's lying, he's in trouble. And I said, I said, Father, in the name of you, no, wait, 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 the girl said, wait, 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 Pastor. Maybe, and listen, within five minutes, she's bawling, she's going, I made it up. I didn't really say, he didn't really, you know, went all that through. 
I said, thank you, Jesus. Now, somebody asked me years ago, somebody asked me, said, you really think God would have brought life? Listen, it didn't have to. I just needed them to believe I could pray that way, okay? Come on. Listen. These men, they don't care about this woman. They're just trying to trap Jesus. So what does he do? Watch this. Go back to, the, go back to uh, John chapter 8, verse 7. Here's a challenge that Jesus makes. Now watch this. It's very interesting. The Bible says that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now watch this. Again, hypocrisy, criticism, condemnation, religion, what, all of that, what that wants to do. When you think you're in the right, you're going to step up. You're going to step forward. You, you know, some people thought that Jesus might even ascend on a staircase somewhere and say, I want you to listen to me. But the Bible says that Jesus bent down. He leaned over. What's this? Here is the Son of God. Here is the miracle worker. Here is the one that knows everything that's going on. He knows what's going on in these guys' hearts. But he bends over, he stoops, he gets lower than the Pharisees, he even gets lower than the woman, and he stoops down. Listen, what is that? That is grace in our life. You understand that we have a Savior. We have one that we can go to in the time of trouble. And when we mess up and when we are having accusations brought to us by people or by Satan, he doesn't look down on us. He stoops down and he offers us grace. That's the God that we serve. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? How do you wash feet? you got to stoop down. When they brought the little children to Jesus and, and the disciples were saying, get them away from Jesus. You know how Jesus embraced little kids? He stooped down. What the Savior does in our life is that he comes to us. He stoops down. He doesn't just come to our level. He gets below us. You follow me? He gets down past where we're at. To let us know that he's not there with a condemning mindset. And the Bible says he stooped down. Now twice, the Bible says he wrote on the ground with his finger. What does that mean? Well, literally the word right there in the Greek means that he doodled or he made a list. Now there's all kind of speculations of what he doodled. But we don't know. But let me tell you some of the theologian speculation. Some theologians speculate that when Jesus stooped down, he started writing the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covenant. Covenant. And then he stood up, and the men were still there. And the Bible says he stooped down again. And other theologians, he started writing, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Sam. <laughs> Thou shalt not cover, covet, Jason. <laughs> you follow me? Some theologian, some theologian said that Jesus stooped down the second time and he started writing the names of the girlfriends of these guys. <laughs> Sam, Jennifer, <laughs> Jacob, Lisa. 
So the Bible says one by one they started leaving. What did they do? From the oldest to the younger. Them older guys that was there, listen, they had a mess up life. Immediately they said, we better get out of here. He already knows. What did he write? It doesn't matter. What he said is important. Now what's this? Here's what he said. Is any of you who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now Jesus is is reminding these Pharisees and teachers of the law. Again, they knew the, the Old Testament law. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 19. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 17. You've got to be eyewitnesses. And if you testify falseless, if you have any malicious intent about what you do, then you yourself can be charged with a serious charge, and you may be the one who are stoned. So Jesus is reminding them that motives matter. Hey, before you pick up a stone, boy, you better look in the mirror. You follow me? Before you even think about throwing a rock. Now listen, the only one qualified in this whole story to throw a stone was Jesus, and he never picked one up. He's riding in the dirt. He wants them to understand. Write this down. He wanted to, they wanted to talk about this woman, but Jesus wants to talk about them. They wanted to talk about this woman, but Jesus wants to talk about them. Now listen, here's the interesting story. This woman never denies the sin. Whether she was caught, whether she was entrapped, she doesn't deny the sin. The woman doesn't deny the sin. The Pharisees will not admit their hypocrisy. She, she doesn't for one second say, it didn't happen, you know, I was strange. She doesn't do any of that. But listen, while she doesn't deny her sin, these guys will not admit that they've got their own issues. You see, what, what, what Jesus wanted them to understand, while this, while this act of adultery is wrong, it's, 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 it's not right, it's sinful, your prideful heart is even more deadly. You follow me? See, that's, that's what we have to be careful with in this broken world that we live in right now. It's so easy in this world right now. We hear one word that's, 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 that's given out often right now. Justice. We want justice. You, you right? Am I, am I telling you the truth? We want justice. What is justice? Justice is when somebody gets what they deserve. Jesus wasn't in the justice. You know what he was in? He was in the mercy and he was in the grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And why? Why these guys are wanting to talk about the woman, Jesus wants to talk about them. Why she doesn't deny they have that she has sinned, they will not admit that they have any sin in their life. So you know what happened? They get convicted and they start disappearing one by one. See, that's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit will do in people's life. It's the reason why I'm not embarrassed when people say, well, you know, Pastor Phil's a friend of sinners. Thank you. I'm glad I am. 
Oh, you know, our, our youth pastors, they go to school and they go around and they're a friend of sinners. That's okay. Now, we're not friends with people necessarily. We're not with them. We are friends of them. What does that mean? It means that we love people enough to see the image of God of them greater than the damage of sin in their life. You see, some of you have friends and families right now. They don't need a Pharisee standing on their platform pointing their finger. They, most of them already know in their own hearts the wickedness and the evil that is there. See, we confuse acceptance with approval. Jesus never approved of what this woman was doing. Listen, he gives, there's a pardon that is given to her. He doesn't approve her with, with, with her action, but what he does, he opens the door of acceptance to her that is going to radically change her life. Because when you read this story, the Bible says Jesus straightened up. What does that mean? He faced her. He looked at her. Maybe for the very first time in her life, she was treated with dignity and respect by a man because in that culture, women had no rights. Most of us understand that. But maybe for the first time, she is treated with dignity and respect. He, he straightens up. He faces her. He questions her. Woman, where are they? He forgives her. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. And then he challenges her. Listen, he treated her sin with total honesty. But he imparts this mercy and grace in her life. It's ironic, again, that Jesus was the only one qualified to throw a stone, but he doesn't throw a stone. He offers her hope, and he offers her grace. Again, verse 10 said, Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. She makes no excuse. She, she waits for Jesus to render his verdict. But in Jesus, she saw something different than she had never seen before. Why didn't she just leave with the Pharisee? Because when I read this story, I'm thinking, these dudes are leaving. Why didn't she just kind of tiptoe? <laughs> I'm out of here. They're all leaving. I'm gone. She hangs around. You know what that was? That was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You get in a conversation with people that their lives is broken by sin and you start condemning them and you start preaching at them and you start pointing their finger. Listen, they are quickly to leave. But when you stand there and you offer grace and hope through Jesus' name, all of a sudden the conviction of the Holy Spirit causes them to hang around a little bit longer and to hear what the message of the gospel is. The funeral I did Tuesday was a biker that I blessed his bike several years ago, helped his son get a driver's license. We did different things. Listen, we, we, we were never really friends with them, but we were always friends of them. When they got into trouble, they give a call. They said, you know, Pastor, we had nobody. Would you be willing to, to come and, and do a service for, for, for my dad? I don't know how, I don't know what state that he died in. I, I, don't, I don't know that. It's not for me to judge that. But what I do know that I had an opportunity of about 40 or 50 family members in that room to tell them about the only hope is in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. The only hope is in Jesus. 
See, there, there, I think right now there, there's tremendous opportunities in, a, in our culture today for, for, for to, to be able to say like Jesus, neither do I condemn you. How, how could he say that? Neither do I condemn you. Because listen, he knew only a few days later he was going to go to the cross and be condemned for her. See, that's what he did on the cross. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 said, Christ became a curse for us when he died on the cross. He took our pain, our shame, our guilt when the heavy load of our sin was all laid upon him. He didn't look at her. Now, watch that. Listen, it's important, the order of his words. He didn't look at her and say, sin no more, and I won't condemn you. See, that's what religious people say. Now, if you're straightened up, and if you'll behave rightly, and if you'll start believing right, I'll tell you what, you can come to church and we'll love you. Come on. Relationship with Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to love you right where you're at. And because I love you right where you're at, I guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to challenge your belief system. And your belief system is going to be challenged. And as you change your belief system from a worldview to a biblical worldview, then all of a sudden your behavior will start to change. It's amazed how without saying a word and just allowing people to see the love of Christ in us and through us, the, the, to, for them to really be convinced that you're looking at the image of God in them rather than the damage of sin in their life. See, most of the world today, they're so accustomed to hearing religion says, if you change, I won't condemn you. Grace through Jesus says, guess what? I love you. And I'm going to give you power to change. I love you just the way you are, but guess what? I'm going to give you power to break away out of that old life. He doesn't look at the woman and say, hey, you know what? This adultery thing, it's not a big deal. I'm going to let it slide. Oh, I know it's not your fault. He doesn't do any of that. He forgives her, and then he sends her forth on a brand new Life. I love that. He forgave her and then set her out on a brand new course. See, that's what God has called us to do in this world today. Is to rub shoulders with people that is so easy in our culture today to, 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 to be condemned by religion and condemned by, by, by religious acts. And so many times people feel like, well, there's no way I could measure up. There's no way I could get to that. Only through Christ can we do that. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.